The sermon text for tonight, Ash Wednesday, is Psalm 32. Would you please listen or read along as I read it? Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through the groaning all day long. For night and day, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave me the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. Do not be like the horse or the mule which have no understanding but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. This ends the reading of God's word. We're going to spend just a few, min- a few minutes tonight looking at this passage, and as we do so, I'd like to invite you to uh, join me just in sitting in a moment of silence before the Lord. Boy, that was a poorly timed. <laughs> Those are my children, by the way, so, oh boy, got no one else to blame but myself. Lord, we come to you this evening and we desire to hear from you. Lord, we come to your word and we are eager to meet you here. We don't care, Lord, just to know more things about the Bible. We want to know you and we want to have an encounter with you. And so we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would come even right now in this moment that you would meet us as we look at the word. Help us to see Jesus clearly tonight. We pray this in his name. Amen. This evening, we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about the spiritual practice of confession. I think it's somewhat of an uphill climb for us for a couple different reasons. One being that basically no one has a 
visceral reaction, a positive gut reaction to thinking about confession. Maybe you can uh, imagine, you can feel the knots in your stomach as you have to go confess to your spouse or to your friend or to a family member or a coworker or a boss. Maybe some of you have in your minds the feelings of confessing something to someone and it not turning out exactly the way that you would have hoped. The response you got felt uncaring, it felt harsh, it felt judgmental, and we just don't typically have a very glowing, positive view of confession in general. Another reason is that many of us have never taught, been taught to value confession in any real way. Many of us come from a Protestant tradition, come from churches that would uh, be considered evangelical, and I know that's been my upbringing, and until uh, fairly recently, I've not had experience in a church that has actually put any meaningful practice or meaningful emphasis on the practice of confession. It was not a part of my just sort of general upbringing, my spiritual formation. I was not taught uh, really growing up in the local church, in an evangelical church, what it meant to value confession. And so we don't have necessarily always a positive sort of feeling towards confession, and we, some of us maybe have never been taught the value of confession, and for those reasons, thinking about the subject of confession requires a little bit of effort on our part. But what I'd like to do this evening is spend a few moments looking at Psalm 32 with you, which is a psalm of confession. And as we do, my prayer is that we would, for those of us who don't have uh, very positive associations with the word confession, uh, my prayer for you tonight, for us, is that Uh, we would see and we would feel that uh, we would come to an understanding that our feelings about confession are wrong. And for those of us who maybe just have never grown up in a church tradition that has placed much value on confession, that we would discover confession and the gift that it is. So let's spend some time looking at Psalm 32 here this evening. And as we do, the first thing we see in this passage is this. We see the passage telling us the definition of a flourishing life. And it's not exactly what we would maybe expect. You know, all of us, based on our cultural environment, based on our upbringing, based on a number of different factors, we all carry around with us a understanding, a definition in our minds of what the flourishing life is. And so for some of us, that flourishing life might be characterized by, might be filled with certain possessions or experiences or pleasures or relationships. For some of us, the definition of a flourishing life would be characterized by having a certain threshold of income, a certain standard of living, a certain marital status, certain educational or career achievements, or just general life achievements. And none of those things are bad things in any way, shape, or form. But what Psalm 32 shows us is that those things alone do not define what a life of flourishing is. The text does show us a life of flourishing, And it tells us that the flourishing person is the one whose sins are forgiven. Look in verse 1. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit is no deceit. So the blessed person, the flourishing person, is the one whose sins are forgiven. But not only this, The flourishing person is the one who experiences communion with God. And these two things are interrelated because it's the forgiveness of sins that enables us to experience that communion with God. Just listen to the language of verse 7, where David here says, You are my hiding place. 
You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. Notice the intimacy that is described here. God is our hiding place. He protects us. He surrounds us. Verse 11, the psalmist says, Rejoice in Yahweh. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. This language that's being used in this psalm is not language that you would use to talk about a distant, uncaring God who is disconnected from your everyday life or experience. This is not the kind of language you would use to describe a God who's sort of a life force out there somewhere. This is language of intimacy. The psalmist can experience this kind of depth of intimacy with the Lord, and this is a part of, this is central to what it means to live a life of flourishing, is to be with God, to be in relationship, to be in a kind of intimate communion with God himself. This is what the life of flourishing is. The flourishing person is the one whose sins have been forgiven and who experiences communion with God, experiences life together with him. But this passage tells us also that there is an obstacle to this flourishing life. The obstacle to the flourishing life that this psalm tells us, and the rest of the Bible affirms this, the obstacle to the life of flourishing is sin. Now, the Bible has a lot to say about the subject of sin, and I'm not going to pretend that I can say much of anything here tonight, except for let me just kind of summarize it like this. The Bible says that the essence of sin is not just doing bad things. It's not just breaking the rules, although that is certainly a part of it. What the Bible says that at its core, sin is rebelling against God and has created design for us, for our lives, for our relationships, and for our world. Sin is looking to anything besides God in his created world to provide something for us that only God was designed to provide for us, that only God can provide for us. And so there is sort of an objective kind of sin, right? Sin is breaking the rules. It's doing what's right in our own eyes. It's disobeying the instruction of the Lord. And it's not just disobeying the rules. Our sin grieves a person. This is part of why I think that one of the main metaphors that's used throughout the Bible to talk about sin is the language of adultery. Because our sin is not just breaking the rules. Our sin is we've deeply grieved a person. In the same way that someone who commits adultery deeply grieves and sins against a person, our sin is not just breaking arbitrary rules that God has set in place. Our sin is grieving the person of God. This is what sin is, and the Bible tells us, this passage tells us, that this is the obstacle to a life of flourishing, the obstacle to experiencing a life of communion with God. And the psalmist here shows us that unconfessed sin rots us from the inside out. Listen to verse 3, when I kept silent, that is when I did not confess, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. So you hear the inner turmoil that the psalmist is experiencing. You hear the inner kind of distress that is the life of unconfessed sin. It will rot us from the inside out. Sin is the obstacle to a life of flourishing, but David not only shows us here what that obstacle is, he also shows us the path towards a life of flourishing. 
So the life of flourishing is the destination that we all want to get to, right? What David tells us here is that confession is the pathway to get there. What he tells us is that we arrive at the destination of the flourishing life by traveling the road of confession. Confession at its core, at sort of its, 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 its essence, is simply acknowledging to God. It's acknowledging before God. It's coming to him in confession, confessing to him, acknowledging the ways that we have done what is right in our own eyes. It's acknowledging, it's confessing the ways that we have grieved him, that we have sinned against him. It's coming to him in humility, recognizing not only who he is, also recognizing who we are. It's acknowledging all of this. And we need confession, friends. We need confession because without confession, we will not experience the communion with God that is a part of this life of flourishing. It's possible to be in relationship technically with somebody as a kind of contractual relationship, but not to really have any sort of deep relational connection. We know that. And what's possible is for us to be in relationship with God and because of the unconfessed sin that exists in our life, not really experience anything of the enjoyment of God that we are designed to experience because we have not learned how to practice confession. We need confession because confession unlocks an experience of communion with God. Now, we will only delight in confession when we have a clear picture of who God is. Otherwise, confession will be a drudgery. Confession will be something that we feel obligated to do. It's something that we'll do maybe once a week on Sunday if your church community practices that. But it's not something we will delight in. It's not something that we will actually want to pursue and want to practice unless we see a picture of who God is. And when we see clearly who God is, that will lead us to want, to desire a life of confession. So look at what this psalm tells us about who God is. It tells us that he is a God who wounds us in order that we might be healed. Look in verse three again. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. The language of God's heavy being hand, hand being heavy on someone is language of judgment. It's language of discipline. And so you see here that God is bringing about this kind of inner turmoil in order that it would lead to confession, in order that it would lead to the confession of sin, the forgiveness, and ex- the experience of communion and relationship with God. So these verses here do not describe a God who is a mean God who likes to see us suffer. And so he makes our bones rot. It's describing a God who's like a skilled surgeon who will cut you open and who will hurt you to cut out the cancer, to cut out the tumor, to cut out what doesn't belong in there so that you will be healed. God is not mean. He desires our healing and our wholeness to the degree so much so that he's willing to wound us that we might be healed. Not only do we see this, we see that he is eager to forgive. Verse five, then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. We shouldn't move too quickly past the astonishing reality that we come to God with nothing other than our brokenness. 
nothing other than our sinfulness, nothing other than the guilt and the shame that is rightly ours because of the ways that we have rebelled against God and his created order. We come to him with nothing else and God forgives us. God desires, he delights to forgive his people. David here describes this, there's no hoops for him to jump through. There's no penance for him to pay. He simply brings all of his brokenness and God forgives him. You see, David knows He knows the character of God. He knows who God is because he's familiar with the story of God's working throughout the life of his people, the nation of Israel. He knows that at every single turn, God's people are rebellious. God's people do what's right in their own eyes. At all those turns along the way, the people of God fail to do what they were designed to do, what they were supposed to do, and God, in every single case, makes a way of forgiveness. He makes a way of provision. He he desires to offer forgiveness for his people. So he is eager to forgive. He's eager to make a way. And so we know this to be true about God. He wounds us in order to heal us. We know that he is eager to forgive. And we have a clearer understanding than even David did. What we have today, what we know is in full what David knew only in part. And that is that God desires, God delights to offer forgiveness. God delights to make a way. In the Old Testament, one of the ways that God made provision for his people was through the practice, through the the liturgy of the sacrifice. And they would go to the temple or the tabernacle, and you would go through the ritual, the liturgy of the temple, and you would offer sacrifices to God. And that was one of the key ways that God made provision and offered forgiveness to his people was by taking the life of this lamb or this goat or this bird or something else. And it was a symbolic that this person is forgiven because this other thing was killed. And this is one of the ways that God makes provision for his people. And what we know is in the New Testament, we see the person of Jesus. We see that God has sent us his son. We see that Jesus is the sacrifice that all those Old Testament sacrifices were pointing forwards to. And we know that Jesus is the one we're told who carries our sin for us. And it's through Jesus that we have been forgiven. It's through Jesus that God has made a way for us to be forgiven and to experience communion and relationship with him again. And so because we see clearly in the person of Jesus this way that God has uh, made for us to experience forgiveness and experience the flourishing life, what that means is that we now view confession as a gift. Because confession is an invitation from God to experience communion with him. That's what confession is. Confession is an invitation from God to experience communion with him. Because when we come to God in confession, we're forced to remember who he is. We are forced to remember who we are. We are forced to remember that God is holy. That God cannot be in the presence of sin. We're forced to remember that God is just. That no act of sin No act of rebellion will go unnoticed. It will all be dealt with. This is the kind of God he is. So we we see a clearer picture of who he is and, and, and we're reminded that we are invited into his presence. We who are stained by sin are invited into the presence of the Holy One. And we are not cast out of his presence because Jesus was cast out for us. We stand before, we're invited into the presence of the one who is just, And we are not consumed by his justice because Jesus was consumed for us. 
And so we are given this beautiful gift of being able to come into the presence of God and we do so and we're forced to remember who God is and we're forced to remember who we are and as we bring him our sin, as we bring him our brokenness and the idolatry that exists inside of us, we experience fresh mercy. We experience fresh forgiveness and fresh grace. And so confession is, is, is not something that would lead us to, to think, oh boy, you people are so negative because you confess all the time. You're so focused on your sin. No, confession doesn't breed a kind of depression within us. It doesn't make us negative kinds of people. It makes us the kind of people that with the psalmist here, rejoice in the Lord and be glad, seeing all you who are upright. So a life of confession, as we learn how to rightly practice confession, and as we see the beautiful gift it is, as we see the invitation it is to enter into God's presence, we become a people not who are depressed, not who mope around, but a people who are characterized by gladness, a people who are characterized by rejoicing and singing. Only when we understand the gift that confession is, only when we see a clear picture of who God is and how in Jesus he has made a way for us to experience the life of flourishing that he has designed for us. And so confession, friends, is a beautiful gift from God. It's an invitation to experience communion with him. And so what we do is we heed the warning. We heed the words of verse nine, where David says, do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. In other words, the psalmist is saying, save yourself the pain and come to God willingly. Save yourself the pain and come to God willingly in confession. And so we do that. And we become a people characterized by rejoicing and gladness and singing as we remember who God is. As we are reminded of what he has done for us in Jesus and we see the beautiful gift of confession. We see the beautiful gift and invitation to communion that it is. I want to encourage you this Lent season to take up maybe in fresh ways the practice of communion. Maybe you practice uh, confession, rather. You practice confession regularly, some of you. Maybe some of you have never really put a whole lot of thought into this. And so this is an invitation to uh, explore and experience what can be ours in a life that is characterized by confession. As you came in today, uh, you would have received a little uh, sheet that looks like this. On one side, there is some uh, scripture readings that can help guide you through the season of Lent. And on the other side is something called an examine. And what the examine is, this is uh, simply a list of uh, guided questions to help you do some reflection and contemplation uh, this Lent season. And some of these questions have to do with the subject of confession. And so I encourage you to use this as a tool this coming Lent season to help you grow in that practice of confession. Well, it's appropriate that as we come to the communion table this evening, that we would stop for a moment of confession. So I'm going to leave just a few moments of silence for you, and then we're going to confess together. There's going to be a responsive reading from Psalm 51 that we're going to uh, say together. So would you take just a few moments of silent reflection and confession, and then we will confess Psalm 51 together.
Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from all my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. You who are God my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, O God, will not despise. I invite you to stand with me. As we come to the communion table today, we do so and we are reminded of our brokenness and our idolatry and our sin, our own mortality. And that's a burden that is far too heavy for us to bear in our own strength. But as we've seen from Psalm 32 here tonight, the good news is that we don't carry that burden in our own strength. In Jesus, God has made a way for our sin to be forgiven. He's made a way for us to experience communion with him. He's opened up the door for us to experience the flourishing life, the way that it was designed to be lived. And so even as we come here today and we confess the the words of Psalm 51 as our own words, I invite you to join me as we confess uh, words from 1 Timothy and 2 Peter. And I encourage you uh, to make these your words as well. Let's confess the good news together. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, we have been healed. Amen. You may be seated.